Good morning. I'm just watching the scramble. Everybody going to find in their seats. We're so glad that you have come to worship the Lord with us this morning. Will you stand with me, please, as we begin? Luke 5. Jesus said, it is, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. You remember the time when you were in that place, when you were a sinner in need of grace in need of his mercy. And the beautiful thing is, is this morning we're going to look to the table. We come to the table to renew our time with the Lord. We come to the table to examine ourselves and to remember what he has done for us. Let's begin this morning by singing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners.
Take a moment. Welcome one another here, will you, this morning?
that shoebox is open, they're overjoyed. You can see them shouting, jumping. Oh, look at how much they are excited. This is the first time those children are receiving the shoeboxes. They are so happy. Every box is important because every box is an opportunity to tell a child about God's love, about His Son, Jesus Christ. If you get the heart of the child, you will reach the heart of the parents, you will reach the heart of the family, and then you will touch the community. That gift box is the beginning into their hearts. Isn't it incredible how these gifts touch the lives of these children? Every year we see tens of thousands of children discipled, and we couldn't do this without you, so thank you for packing the boxes, thank you for praying for these children around the world. God bless you, and keep packing those boxes. Karen Vanden Scoten, and I've been coordinating or assisting in coordinating Operation Christmas Child here at Anastasia for the past several years, and I'm very excited to be able to announce our launch, our 2023 launch, um, though maybe not quite as excited as some of the children in the video there as they receive uh, what may well be the very first gift um, that they've ever received. It could be the only gift that they've ever received, material gift, that is. Because what you also heard is that they received The Greatest Journey, which is a really fantastic discipleship program um, that follows afterward that's so impactful to these children, um, to their families, and actually to their communities. But I think what always isn't super apparent from the video is the, um, the just prior activities. Um, shoebox distribution over on the other side of the world um, is building a network of churches and of missions using these gifts Missionaries and church leaders are actually able to go out into communities and into unreached people groups um, that have never been open to them before. They're actually being received and being heard and sharing the good news. And that's why this is considered a missions project here at Anastasia, even though it seems like all the work is, you know, is done here locally. Um, the reality is there are a good number of us who maybe will never have the opportunity to step foot on the actual missions field in another country. But by packing a shoebox gift, um, you are supporting this missions work. And in fact, you're sending a small piece of yourself uh, on that mission. So please do prayerfully consider uh, packing a shoebox gift. And um, We've got plenty of materials out by the Operation Christmas Child table this year. We've got uh, a lot of the pre-printed boxes out there. Um, we will need you to fill and return those by November 12th. So thank you very much and God bless. We are so thankful to Karen and her team and we are so, um, Grateful that we get to be a part of Operation Christmas Child, so hopefully you'll take advantage of that this year. My name is Julia, I'm the College and Young Adult Minister, and I just wanna offer a special welcome to you all, and if this is your first time here, a special welcome to you. We have a gift at our welcome desk out in the atrium. I hope that you will stop by and receive that gift. We would also love to connect with you, and there's a few ways we can do that, and one is by texting the number 904-441-6900 and text the word CONNECT. That will pull up our digital CONNECT card and whether you're a guest with us or you've been here your entire life, you can use that CONNECT card to also share prayer requests with our staff and with our pastors. A few announcements that we have happening. 
On October 22nd, we will have a parent-child dedication. That's for children five and under. So if you've not yet been a part of that, I encourage you to speak with our children's ministry team. Get signed up. It's something so special that our church is investing in this next generation and seeing them raised in the house of the Lord and being brought up in the faith. And so we're so grateful to um, come alongside parents and be a part of that journey with them. And the next announcement is just for the ladies. On November 4th, we will have a ladies' luncheon, uh, and I hope that you will sign up and be a part of it. It's going to be an incredible time of worship, fellowship, and hearing from God's word. There's a table out in the atrium. Please stop by, sign up, um, have a spot at one of the tables. You do not want to miss it, ladies. It's going to be such an encouragement and a blessing. We talked about... um, over the last few months, our 4G faith campaign, and I'm sure you've seen the progress we've been making out in the parking lot. Our littlest kids got to go toward the building, and we have um, a video of them in there in the classrooms that they are going to be in once that is completed. And so our adults got to have some fun. They hosted... (laughs) They hosted um, a life group. I don't know. If you don't follow us on social media, let me just say, we posted this video in one of our other adult life groups, and it's so funny. So you want to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and see what's happening there. But our kids are so excited for how God is moving here at Anastasia Church, and we are so grateful for your generosity and for your faithfulness and helping us not only... um, reach the next generation, but be a light to our community. So thank you so much for your giving each and every week. If you would like to partner with us this week, there's a couple ways you can do that. The offering envelopes are located near the offering boxes, or if you get them in the mail, you can drop those off. You can also text that number 904-441-6900. Text word connect, that will pull up our offering as well or you can come into the church office. But thank you so much for being faithful in giving and allowing these little cuties that we saw on the screen have a safe space to come and learn about God. And we're so grateful for that. So now let us pray for our offering. Lord, we just come to you now and we wanna give you thanks for how amazing you are and how you are working amongst your people and specifically here in St. Augustine Beach, how you are working through Anastasia Church. And Lord, we know there's a lot of darkness out there and a lot of horrible things that we see in the news that are happening all across our community and the world. But you continue to make Anastasia Church a light in this dark world. And as we give our offerings this morning, Lord, whether they be a little or a lot, I just pray they'll be given out of obedience with a cheerful heart, Lord and that you would bless them into abundance, that your word would go out, that your gospel could be heard by all, Lord. We love you. Amen. Well, let's continue. Stand with me, please. And we now just want to even more overtly just turn our attention toward the Lord's table.
again without the instruments. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Church, we're entering into a time where we're going to take communion together. And um, to start, I want to do just a quick little heads up. We're going to be passing the plates in just a minute. And when you do, it's a double cup. So just make sure that you pick up from the bottom so you get both the bread and the cup when you pick yours up. But this is a time um, where we're going to do communion. And this is something that Christians have done for thousands of years since the, the night that Jesus Christ himself led it. So this is a time where we remember his sacrifice, um, or where we remember how he went and died on the cross for us. And I want you to know that this is a time for people that are Christians, that, are, that believe in Jesus Christ, have him in his heart. Um, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, I would just ask that you refrain from taking it with us. Um, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup and the, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let's take a moment quickly to, to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to take communion together. So this is a time of confession. It's a time of humbling yourself before the Lord. Let's take a moment and then I'll pray for us after. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you that we can come and worship together, that we can take communion together and with all the Christians that have done it for thousands of years. I pray um, for any sins that I may have committed that I have not asked for forgiveness from, that you would forgive those, that you would wash them away and that I could come before you now, holy and pure. We ask all this in your name, amen. As we pass the plates, we're going to sing a song, and then we'll, we'll take them together afterwards.
1 Corinthians, um, Paul gives us an account of what took place at the Lord's Supper. And it starts with this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your body that was broken for me and my sins. Thank you for going up on that cross for me. Amen. And the, the passage continues. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Dear Jesus, thank you for your blood, your blood that poured out on my behalf, your blood that, that covers my sins. Thank you for your blood. Amen. The passage concludes, for as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you. Well, good morning, church. My name is Brandon Elder. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Anastasia. And today, we are going to be continuing our sermon series where we're looking at the, the kings of um, Judah and Israel in the Old Testament that we're calling Divided Heart. And if you remember, two weeks ago, Pastor Walter spoke about King Jeroboam, who was called by God to be king, but ultimately allowed his fear to be stronger than his faith, and he turned against God. We learned that Jeroboam did evil in the sight of God, and then when he died 22 years after ruling, or after 22 years of ruling, his son, Nabab, took over. And if you thought that was good news, it wasn't. <laughs> Nabab ruled over Israel for two years, and let's see if we can, we can see how that went. 1 Kings 15, 26 says, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Not great. But luckily, Nabab's reign was only two years. And that's because Basha of the tribe of Issachar killed him and all of Jeroboam's descendants, which um, completed a prophecy that was given to Jeroboam's wife. So surely now, Israel has the king that they need. Basha ruled over Israel for 24 years. And 1 Kings 15, 34 tells us how that went. It says, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. Uh-oh. That sounds familiar, because it's almost exactly the same as the other verse, and that's not a good thing that it sounds so familiar. So when Basha died, his son Elah reigned for two years, 
until the commander of half of Elah's chariots, Zimri, came into his room one night and killed him. This isn't going great. Zimri reigned for seven days. When the people heard what Zimri had done, they made Omri, the commander of the army, they made him king. So Omri and the army went and besieged the city that Zimri was in. And when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he burned down the house of the king with himself in it. Omri then reigned for 12 years. Is this finally the king who was promised? 1 Kings 16, 25 says, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. It doesn't look like it. So now after that history lesson, we finally arrived at the king that we're going to be talking about today. Have any of you ever made a bad first impression or had someone make a bad first impression? I can say probably both of those things I have done with a whole lot of confidence. I can say that. So a first impression is really easy to make. It's automatically going to happen when you meet someone. Normally, it takes around seven seconds. In that seven seconds, someone knows or feels like they know exactly who you are and what kind of person you are. A Princeton study showed that some people are really, really good at this, and it takes them a tenth of a second to determine with a good amount normally of, or or with being right about it, about a tenth of a second, they can say, is this a good person or is this a bad person? Is this a person that I want to be with? And they are right. That's really quick. First impressions are important because they're really difficult to change. So today we're going to look at King Ahab and we're going to get just a first impression. This is the first time that he's going to be mentioned. How is it going to look? What's nice for him is if you remember, we just talked about all these kings before him that were terrible. We hear often that someone has big shoes to fill. He has small shoes to fill. He doesn't have to do much. Just be decent. And they'll be like, wow, this is the best king we've had. Let's see how it goes. If you can do so comfortably, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? This is going to be 1 Kings 16, 29 through 34. It says this. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, pause for one second, Jeroboam's son, Nabad, started... We started our history lesson with, he took over in the second year of Asa. So now 38 years later, Judah still has the same king, and Israel's on, what, their sixth or seventh? So Ahab, son of Omri, began to reign over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hile of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you just for the opportunity that we have to, to come and worship together and to learn more about you from your word. So I pray today that it won't be my words, it'll be your words coming through me, that you'll give all of us the ears to hear it, and the heart to do 
what you're calling us to do. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You guys can be seated. So this is not the best first impression I've ever seen. Um, We just went over all the terrible kings of Israel that led to Ahab, and we were told that he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all that came before him. Not great. But I do think that there's plenty that we can learn from Ahab, both good and bad, and plenty that we can learn about God from seeing how he interacts with Ahab. Today, I want to look at four stories from Ahab's reign and see what we can learn. So in 1 Kings 17, the prophet Elijah came to Ahab and declared that there would be a drought for years until Elijah called for it to rain again. And three years later, it has not rained since then. God tells Elijah to go to Ahab and he will make it rain. Elijah tells Ahab to gather all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, about 850 people total, and to meet him on Mount Carmel. And that's where we're going to pick up 1 Kings 18, 20 through 24. It says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them... Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you can call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people answered, it is well spoken. So the story goes on. Then the prophets of Baal and Asherah prepared their offering, and they danced, and they sang, and they called out to their God, and their God didn't answer. Then Elijah... After a long time of that, Elijah went and rebuilt the altar of the Lord, which was at the top of Mount Carmel. He placed wood on all the altar. He dug a trench around it and then ordered that four jugs of water be poured onto this altar three times. Think about it, guys. We're in a drought. Four jugs of water is a lot. And then three times, that's a lot. But did it three times so that everything was absolutely soaked. We'll keep going. um, Verses 36 to 39 And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When I read through this story, I see that we have a God who loves his people so much. Remember, there have been decades of kings who have done evil in the sight of the Lord and decades of Israelites following and doing what their king has done. The people of Israel were worshiping Baal and Asherah, not just Ahab. But our God gives second chances. That's the first thing you can write down if you're taking notes today. Our God gives second chances. You're never too far gone for God's love. Our God gives second chances. So let's see what else we can learn if we keep reading. This is um, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 3. This is immediately after the events on Mount Carmel. 
It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah and King Ahab leave Mount Carmel. They arrive at the entrance to Jezreel. And this is when we learn that the queen was in Ahab's palace. She did not go up to Mount Carmel to see what was going on. She was waiting here. So Jezebel was not present for the confrontation on Mount Carmel. She didn't belong to the, all the people of Israel whom Ahab had gathered there. She was certainly not among all the people who had cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. She had been waiting in Jezreel. It, was, it had been um, Jezebel's marriage to Ahab that had introduced the worship of Baal to Israel. She had been the patron of the 450 prophets and the 400 prophets of Asherah. She had executed hundreds of prophets of the Lord. Jezebel was one scary lady. I, I do not want to be near her. So through the whole drama of Mount Carmel, she had probably been waiting in comfort in the palace, waiting and looking, I'm assuming, for the news that the troubler of Israel, that Elijah, had finally been dealt with. Like we are finally free from this guy that keeps coming and talking about God. Now we can do whatever we want. So the king came and gave the queen a full account of what happened on Mount Carmel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of the sword. So he told her about the efforts of her dear prophets crying out to Baal all day. He told her about the no voice, no answer, no attentiveness. He told her about the rebuilt altar of Yahweh and all that water. He told her about Elijah's prayer. He told her about the fire from heaven. He told her about how all the people fell on their faces saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. He told her about what happened to all of her precious pagan prophets. He told her everything. And here we have to kind of read in between the lines because I don't think that Ahab was going and tattling on Elijah when he said this. I think instead these events were so incredible and seemingly changed the people in Ahab that Ahab expected this would change Jezebel as well. Almost like, hey, babe, Baal failed us, but we all repented. I think you should too. And then when Jezebel repents, the rebuild of Israel could finally begin. The people and the king and queen would all be following Yahweh. It'd be incredible. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Jezebel immediately sends a messenger to Elijah saying that she will have him killed by this time tomorrow. And Ahab sits back and watches. He's the king. He just witnessed everything that happened on that mountain, and he is abandoning all of that because of Jezebel. He's abandoning everything that just happened, and his people who just cried, the Lord, he is God, because his wife said, mm, no, I don't like that. So the second thing you can write down if you're taking notes is be careful who you let speak into your life. Ahab let an incredible moment with God be thrown away because of who he gave power and authority in his life. Are the people that you have given power to in your life drawing you closer to God or further from God. Be careful who you let speak into your life. Let's continue on into chapter 20. 
The king of Syria has gathered his army, and he came to Ahab and said, Hey, all the gold and silver that you have, um, your wives and your children, those actually belong, those belong to me. So he's saying, like, hey, I own you. I'm coming in. I'm just telling you, you are now part of my kingdom. I am your king. I own you. Everything you have is now mine. And Ahab says, okay, sure, yeah, it's, it's yours, yeah. So then the king says, actually, I don't think I like that you're holding my stuff. I have a toddler and, and a six-year-old, they, and a four-year-old. They all are constantly fighting about who gets to hold whose stuff. So the king comes in, I don't think I like that you have my stuff. I'm going to come take it. That's mine. I, I just told you it all belongs to me now. I'm going to come take it. And this is when Ahab says, no, finally. He says, no, no, you can't just come in and take everything. And this is where we're going to pick up. Verse 13 says, And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So Ahab and his men, strengthened by God, said, Okay. And they, they went out, and they defeated the king of Syria. The king of Syria escaped. And after the battle, we see um, in verse 22, And the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself, consider well what you have to do. For in the spring, the king of Syria will come up against you. So in the spring, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, did return. And this time he came with a plan. So they, they figured out the Israelites, there's no way they should have beaten his army. They outnumbered them so much, there's just no way. So they said, it must be their god. You know, we went and we fought, we fought him on a hill. They must have a god of the hills. So what can we do instead? We can go fight in the valley this time. Because if their god's a god of the hills, he can't be a god of the valleys, right? So that's what they did. And they went and fought in the valley, um, picking up in verse 28. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give you all of this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites went out and they fought in that valley, and they won. Ben-Hadad surrendered and asked to be spared. And Ahab agreed. Which is weird. After all of this, it, it really says, if, if you go and read through it, it says, he's my brother. Ahab says about Ben-Hadad. Okay, yeah, he's my brother. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah, no big deal. And now let's look at verses 42 and 43. It says, and he, a prophet, said to him, thus says the Lord, because you've let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, there your, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. So when I first read through this, I got a little confused right here. Because it says, thus says the Lord, because you've let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life. But I went back through every time that the prophet came and spoke, and it never said that Ben-Hadad is set for destruction, that he should be destroyed. So I was like, this is weird. How, how did we get to this place? And then I started to notice something else. Every time that a prophet is mentioned in this, um, this chapter, it says that the prophet came near to Ahab. 
he came up to Ahab and said the stuff. Ahab never asked for a prophet. Ahab never asked what God's plan was or what God would have him do. I think that maybe the prophets never told Ahab what God's full plan for the situation was because Ahab didn't ask. So instead, God sent the prophet to say, this is what Ahab has to know, which is if I'm going to protect my people, my people of Israel, they have to go out and fight, and I will be with them. They have to go out and fight again, and I will be with them. I will give him part of the plan, but if he's not asking, he's not going to get it all. Ahab didn't seem to care what God's plan was. He just cared that God was going to be with them. So the the last point was, be careful about who you let speak into your life. My third point would be, seek out godly people to speak into your life. Ahab may have a very different legacy if he had just looked at the people he surrounded himself with and made better choices. If he had just gone to the prophet and said, what is God's plan? What would God have me do? And it may have been very different. So seek out godly people to speak into your life. Let's keep going. Um, 1 Kings 21, 1 through 4 says, Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. And I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. That sounds a whole lot like my four-year-old. <laughs> when he asks for something, like, like a snack when I'm at the oven making dinner and is going and pouting in his room. So this is where we start. Ahab is pouting. Jezebel comes in and it's like, what's going on? Why are you in here like this? And he tells him why. He said, I wanted that vineyard and he wouldn't let me have it. And now I'm in here. So Jezebel has a simple solution to the issue. It's, as you can probably guess, it's really good. Um, so she sends a letter to the leaders of Naboth's city and tells them that he has cursed God and the king and that they should stone him. And they do. So Jezebel returns to Ahab and says, hey, good news, he's dead now. Go claim that vineyard. It's all yours. So Ahab got up and said, all right. And he went and claimed it. Let's look at um, seven, verses 17 through 24. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut you off from and cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me and because you have made Israel to sin. And Jezebel 
And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And any of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. That got kind of intense. It doesn't really seem like there's a way back from this. Think about it. We are years and years into Ahab falling short. Ahab doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Ahab not listening to the prophets when they are coming to him. But luckily, our God is not like us. And our God's love knows no end. Let's keep reading verses 27 through 29. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So earlier we said that our God gives second chances, but he also gives third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, however many you need chances. The next thing you can write down, our God continues to give forgiveness. Accept it. Ahab was one of the worst kings of Israel, but God continued to forgive him. So accept him. If God can do that for someone like Ahab, why couldn't he do that for someone like you or someone like me? I don't know what you all are dealing with this morning, but I do know that we serve a God that just wants to love you. Come to him, ask for forgiveness. He will give it to you. We're coming to a time of invitation. If God is calling you to take a next step in your faith, we would love to help you in any way that we can. I'll be down here at the front during the song. We'll have counselors ready to talk to you if um, you would like to meet with them. If God is calling, come. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for what we can learn from King Ahab, one of the, the worst to ever be king. I thank you for your love that knows no end, your love that doesn't give up on us, your love that, that will give us a second, third, fourth, fifth chance. However many we need, you will give. I pray that we'll take a look at who we are giving power in our lives, at who we are giving authority to speak into our lives, that we will seek out godly men and women to help point us closer to you. Thank you. Thank you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Would you please stand with me while we sing?
Father, continue to remind us of your grace, your love, and your mercy. Remind us that we can always turn back to you and you lovingly wait for us to, to restore the relationship that we have with you. Father, I pray that as we go forth today that we will also feel bold enough, convicted enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone else today, maybe just this week. Father, prepare us for those divine appointments that we can live according to the way you've asked us to. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.